0: And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. And you can turn to chapter 20, and uh, we're going to look at a couple different places. But uh, what I want to do this morning is reorient us to the Gospel of Matthew. And on January 5th, 2020, we began a series in the Gospel of Matthew. And my plan at that point was to take a year and a half and walk through uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Now, if you can remember January of 2020. In some ways, that feels like 30 years ago, not Three, And so you think about how, I mean, our church has changed in those three years, how you and your life have probably changed, just what the world has uh, been through. So over those three years, we took several uh, detours and uh, starting now, I want to get back into Matthew and reorient and I'm uh, really committed to try and finish uh, by, by June. And uh, we, we were going to spend about a year and a half, two years there. And uh, even then, I felt like it was somewhat uh, too too quick. Before that, we spent a year and a half going through the Gospel of John, and I felt like going through John. You know, I'd take like one sermon for one whole chapter, and at times I felt like I was committing pastoral malpractice by not bringing you into the beauty of of the text. But I'll try and get over that, and we I really do want us to get through uh, Matthew. So we're going to pick up at the end of chapter uh, 20. But what I want to do this morning is just give you a reorientation uh, to the book. Like, why would you want to spend so much time studying it and thinking about it? What is it meant to do for you and for us? And maybe one of the most helpful ways, I think, to think about what the Gospel of Matthew is, is you can think about this. So the year, it's 1988, and uh, you've probably all seen the the white signs with the red K. A-W for uh, Keller Williams Realty. Uh, They're the largest real estate company in the world right now. And in 2021, they did $532 billion worth of business. But in 1988, they were not that. And so the founder, uh, Gary Keller, had founded in 83. Uh, By 88, he had gotten four different little offices kind of up and running. But over those five years, he found out that like, Every time he would go to one office and kind of get it up and running, then the other three would start to dip and then he'd have to dash over to another one and then he'd get that going and then the other three would start to dip and he was on this kind of endless uh, cycle. So in 1988, he decided, Uh, that he was going to take the entire year off. So he uh, hired a couple different people. He hired someone to run all of the operations for those four locations. And then he hired another person to just follow him around with a notepad, tape recorder, and video camera. And I remember this is 1988, so we're not talking about like iPhones, we're talking video camera. (laughs) And so we're going to follow him around for about four months and just recorded Everything he did. And then um, he hired one of the nation's top franchising attorneys and paid him $100,000. And they together worked through all of that material and they consolidated it into uh, what they would kind of joke as their, as their Bible their operations manual. And if you ask him now, what Gary Keller would say is that the most valuable asset the company owns is that operations manual, that packet. And uh, in some ways, that's a good kind of illustration of what the Gospel of Matthew is. I mean, in many ways, Jesus called Matthew to, to follow him around, to chronicle, And then to organize his gospel into this beautiful operations manual. It's a ministry manual. It's a discipleship manual. It's a a manual that's meant to shape our lives if we're going to faithfully follow him and shape our churches. If we're going to uh, really be the house that he wants to build, so Matthew is a, a discipleship manual for how to live the Christian life faithfully, both for individuals, uh, individuals and organizations, and. Um you know, if you've if you've watched the the chosen, we I haven't seen it, but people often ask me what do I think about their portrayal of of Matthew because they portray him as being autistic and being really good with numbers and like uh, kind of OCD about certain details. And what they're trying to get at, whether he he was or not, we don't know. I mean, he he was a tax collector, so in essence would have been something like in a a first century accountant, so would have been really good with numbers. But when you go through the gospel, his Orderly presentation, in in many ways, is beautiful. There's a fabulous book called uh, Matthew the the Poet of the Beatitudes. And what they do is kind of take just the Beatitudes as an illustration of the beautiful symmetry and poetry. And so Matthew very intentionally is constructing his gospel in a way primarily for teachers so we can learn, but he's doing it in an orderly, in a beautiful uh, fashion. So uh, if you're going to experience its power, if it's gonna do its work in your life, you have to be given eyes to kind of see its patterns like how he's operating, how he's uh, setting things up and um all right, so it's, it's time to get back into school. So the kids started school this past week. So, you know, you had the joys of Christmas break where it was actually kind of cold here. And so you could kind of snuggle up and eat lots of cookies. And so, but we, it's, it's time to get our minds wheeling again. So we're going to do a little uh, test. And some of you have seen this before, but I'm going to pull up uh, in just a second. Don't pull it up yet, uh, Emily, but we're going to pull up the series of letters. And I'm going to give you about 30 seconds and I want to well, maybe 10 seconds. And we'll, we'll see how many of those you can memorize in a row, okay? All right, so Cody, pull up those uh, the first series of letters. All right, you got 10 seconds. Try and memorize them. All right, Cody, put the blank. I don't know if that's 10 seconds or not, but you know. all right. So now, see if you can uh, replay them. Does anybody feel confident that they got them? Maybe a handful. Uh, you feel confident? You can see the screen back there. <laughs> I, now let's, I'll give you another chance, I'll give you another 10 seconds, and the letters are going to be the exact same letters in the exact same order, but kind of shifted around a touch so you can see that there's a pattern. All right, pull them up now. All right, go back to the blank screen. All right, does anybody feel confident that they can repeat those letters? See, if all you had is the first one, you would feel bad about yourself. you think, oh, yeah, I can't really, I can't learn things. You know, I'm not very smart. But if you actually see the pattern, you think, oh, it's not as challenging as I thought. I can get it. And what Matthew is like, when you can begin to spot the patterns about how he's working, how he's putting things in place in the order, uh, you see it, you get it, you can memorize it. It kinda comes to life. So what I wanna do again this morning is I just wanna kinda give us an overview so in one sense, actually don't worry about trying to take in all the things I'm going to say, because I'm going to try and give you an overview, and I don't want anybody to be overwhelmed uh, or try and kind of get it all. Just, just hear it, and at the end of the sermon, what I want you to feel is just feel that, man, there's so much more there than I ever thought. It's so much more beauty, more power, more intentionality. More, uh, it's more purposeful. So this morning, let's just kind of get an overview, pull back at a high level. All right, what is he trying to do in his gospel? And one of the lines I want to kind of repeat over, over and over the next several uh, weeks is, uh, and Cody, we can bring up this first one. It's this line that for Matthew, real discipleship is about learning and living. There's these two dynamics. There's learning and there's living. And so, what Matthew is a master teacher, and the way he teaches is through both direct and indirect communication. And so, the whole gospel's meant to teach, but the way he structures his gospel is this dynamic back and forth between learning and then living or life or uh, sermon. And story, or a context where you're supposed to sit down and and train, where you're supposed to think and be be trained, and then um, where you, you go out and you live. Or you almost actually think about it, teaching and training. So the teaching is formal teaching, and then training is, is living uh, those things out. And our goal, one of our goals as a church, as we think about it, if you're going to be a faithful disciple, you need both of those things. You need context where you're, you're learning. You're, you're growing in your knowledge. You're learning. And then you need context where you're, you're living. These things are being expressed in the reality of your life. So kind of one of the ways we're trying to scramble or kind of move, kind of get those two things, you can think about even in small groups. So the context of like, Bible studies, or the different classes. Those are like learning contexts where the goal is to be more learning. And then other types of groups like community groups or growth groups or groups that are meant to bring people together. So we're living these things out uh, together. So I'm excited that women's Bible studies starting up this week. Men, we're, we're at least a week behind the women as as. You can imagine. So we're hoping to start in two weeks. But the idea is you have these different contexts that you need. And you can go through Matthew's whole gospel. He structures his entire gospel between these two contexts. Chapters 1 through 4 is the the story. You're You're entering into a story where you're seeing a life played out. And then Matthew gives you five major teaching, sermon blocks. So, one through four is story. Five through seven is the first sermon. It's the Sermon on the Mount. That's discipleship 101. And then eight through nine is another story where he gives you 10 different miracle stories. So, you're meant to learn uh, who Jesus is. And then, chapter 10 is the next sermon. And this is evangelism 101, how God's mission is to go out. And then, and 11 through 12, you get two more chapters of story where you get six different pictures of the person of Christ as the, the Savior. And then chapter 13 is another sermon where you get all of the kingdom parables. And this is what the kingdom, 101, what does it mean for his kingdom to come? And then chapters 14 through 17, you get more story. The church's foundation. And then 18 through 20, you get sermon. It's his uh, ecclesiology 101, how he's going to build his house. And then 21 through 23, you get story. These engagement, interaction, confrontation as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And then 24 through 25, you get sermon, where he gives you a large sermon on, uh, this is eschatology, the end of the world. And then it ends in story at cross and resurrection. So you have this dynamic back and forth. One where you're supposed to stop, learn, and then the other one where you live. So Matthew's whole gospel is structured to give us those two things. So we need uh, those two things, real discipleship. It's about learning. And it's about living. And so where we're going to pick up the story is we're picking up at the end of chapter 20 and the first part of 21. But even kind of some of the background, like what we were looking at last year, last spring, or last January, we started in 16 and went from 16 through 20. And that whole framework of 16 through 20 is Jesus' commandments for how he's going to build his house. So we talk about the house that Jesus is going to build. We looked in 16, you know, the foundation he builds is first on the foundation of the the confession of who he is and then the commitment to follow him. So uh, he asked Peter and the disciples, who do people say that I am? They give these different answers. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus celebrates him. Blessed are you, Peter. Uh, Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father uh, who uh, in heaven has revealed this to you. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my house on that confession. And then he tells him that he's got to go to Jerusalem, die. And if anyone wants to be his disciple, he has to take up his cross and follow me. Confession and then commitment to follow him. The way we're trying to integrate those things, one of our goals this year is to get our membership class and process fully back online and going again and even structuring it. We're right here's, as a church. This is our confession. This is the things we believe. And then here's our commitment, our church covenant, how we're committed to live uh, and walk together. But that's Jesus lays that foundation. And then chapter 17, he gives his house rhythms about uh, on the, after six days. On the seventh day, he takes three disciples and they ascend up into the mountain and, and transfiguration and worship. And so his house rhythms are once every seven days, you ascend into his pre- God's presence in worship. And worship is ultimately about loving the Lord. God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So worship is about entering, going up into his presence, loving him, listening to him. And then you go down the mountain out into the world with power. And the disciples are supposed to go down into the world and bring that power into the world. So that's worship and mission. Once a week, we come up into his presence. That's how our worship services are designed. Uh, Intentionally try and move us into God's presence where we express our love for him and we listen to him. And then we go out into the world with his power. It's Matthew 17. And then in 18 and 19, he talks about his house. Uh, those are the rhythms of his house, the weekly rhythms. But here are kind of the house, house rules. Here we're, here's how we're going to operate in this house. And uh, 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 18 and 19 are all about sacrificial love. This is sacrificial love's flexibility. It's how it initiates with people. It's marked by this characteristic of sacrificial love. And then, or that's that's... Uh, 17 and 18, 19 and 20, he talks about right, this is your house with marriage, money, work. And uh, we didn't get to that last year, so hopefully we'll come back to 19 and 20 at some point. But we're going to move into 21 through 23. And the point here is Jesus is telling his people, All right, I'm going to build my people, this is my house. But now when you go out into the world, your life into the world, you're entering into the world that's hostile. You're entering into the world that's divided. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and he's coming into a place that is not safe, that's antagonistic, that's ultimately going to lead him to the cross. And so for 21 to 23, he's teaching, Matthew's teaching God's people, how do we live faithfully in a world that's hostile to our faith? Life in the world. And you can even look, if you have your Bibles, you can just kind of look and see the beauty of the way Matthew sets things up, even in, in the micro way of, all right, here's, here's teaching, and then here's training or living. In chapter 21, we pull up 21, 22, 23, it kind of gives you the main 21. It gives you the main issues. And you have three different encounters starting in actually chapter 20, verse 29 this encounter with the blind men, and they cry out. And what Matthew is teaching us in this encounter is that Jesus is the merciful high priest. So we come to him seeking mercy, and we cry out and find mercy to him. Then you have the triumphal entry, and he comes like a king who's humble. And he's teaching us, and not only is he the merciful high priest, he's this, this modest king who's coming to his people. And the proper response to the king is worship. It's Hosanna, blessed be the one who comes in the name of of the Lord. And then you see him entering into the temple and declaring that this house is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of robbers or thieves and he drives them out and he's this mighty prophet. So in, in chapter uh, 21, one of the things Matthew's doing is he's summarizing this picture of who Jesus is that he's been painting through the entire gospel. Because one of the key questions that's running through this whole thing is the question everyone asks when Jesus comes into the temple in 21 uh, verse, um, verse 10. They say, who is this? And then the leader, who do you think you are? Who are you? And Matthew's using these three snapshots that this is who he is. He's the merciful high priest who's come. He's the mighty king who's come. He's the mighty prophet. This is who he is. And then that's balanced by three different parable stories. They come in balance. There's three different parable stories that says this is is what it means to faithfully follow him. This is who he is. This is how we follow him. We have the story of the two sons and the two farmers and the two wedding guests. And this is what faithfulness in a hostile world looks like. These are the main issues of who he is, how you follow him. That's 21. And then in 22, Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he's set up. And and Matthew paints for us a picture of four different questions. And these are the questions that are intentionally used to try and trap him, to try and trip him up. And it's like, all right, if you're going to live in a hostile world, these are the four different questions you've got to wrestle with. You've got to answer. And in 22, the first question is a question of politics. Do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And they're wanting to trip him up. And then the next question they challenge, we call this, so that's like the political question. And then you have what might call like the, the theological question. Because they want to know about the resurrection and that question and there's the question of the moral question what's the greatest commandment what are we supposed to be doing with our lives and he sums it up love God love others this is the moral question and then it culminates with the ultimate question is who is Jesus whose son is he so 22 gives us all right these are the main questions that we have to Wrestle with. And then in 23, uh, he pulls back and it's this uh, powerful, convicting, challenging chapter on these seven great woes. Woe to you. And he calls down a woe on the scribes and Pharisees and, and calls down curses on them. And that's balanced with the Beatitudes in chapter 5, just like Moses at Mount Ebal, where they one side went up and they said, here's the blessings. Blessed are you if you obey and follow the Lord. And on the other mountain, they stood up and said, here's the curses. So chapter 5 is blessings. Chapter 23 are these seven curses or woes on the enemies of God's people. So if we're going to be faithful, we've got to know, all right, here's the main issues we have to deal with. Here are the main questions we have to wrestle with. And here are the main enemies we have to fight or be protected from. And one of the fascinating things, you look at all seven of those woes, and they have certain themes. And the, the theme he's going after is, is graceless religion, religion that's legalistic and is graceless. And then he's also going after self-aggrandizement, people who are using others to exalt themselves so that kind of gives you an overview of 21 22 23 that's what we're going to be looking at uh, leading up uh, to Easter As we think what is a faithful life in this world that's hard and difficult what does it look like but as we uh, kind of wrap up this morning just a couple things I want you to think about you know why why look at this? Why is Matthew helpful? And three three little things to think uh, about. And we can pull up all three, but uh, life is short. Matthew will help you not to waste it. And then life is complicated. Matthew will help you simplify it. And then life is confusing. And Matthew will help you clarify it. So we know life is short. Life can be complicated. And life can be confusing, and what he does is he can bring uh, some some focus, some clarity, some simplicity. So life is short. He can help you not to waste it. You know, this is this is a a ministry manual on how to do ministry, but it's also a, a life manual on how to live your life well. I mean this gives you the the fundamentals of a life that's lived well. I mean, you could take the five major teaching blocks that he gives and, on the Sermon on the Mount, and on evangelism, and on the kingdom, and on uh, how he's gonna build his church, and the end times, and you could, uh, I mean, you could dedicate your life just to, to, to focus on the Sermon on the Mount, and you get a, a beautiful, um, it's simple, but it's not simplistic way of living really well. When we were going through um, a Sermon on the Mount, we were going through it when we we couldn't meet here. So for eight months, we couldn't meet here at all. So we were going through it uh, kind of online, and I was uh, struck going through it, how comprehensive of a picture it paints for a life that's just lived well. Love this quote from Dallas Willard. He says, The commands of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount are invitations to become a certain type of person, who through faith and discipleship to him has become inwardly transformed so that this behavior flows naturally out of you. So you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you know, even Jesus' great teaching, like, you have heard it said, but I say to you, uh, you know, don't murder. That's an invitation to a life that's free of contempt and anger and His command of don't commit adultery, that's an invitation to a life that's free from the dominion of sexual lust and relational disgust. And then in in the, the command, let your yes be yes, your no, no, that's an invitation to a life that's free of trying to control and dominate and manipulate others with deceptive uses of words. And the idea of don't take vengeance is an invitation to a life that's free from, from holding grudges and always having to, to pay others back. And a life that's free to love your enemies and bless those who curse you. And so you walk through the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, this life that can be free of the, the, the paralyzing anxiety of feeling like you're always performing in front of people, especially in the context of religious services and performance. In chapter seven, a life that can be be free of the paralyzing weight of anxiety over what are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? How are you going to uh, live your life? So what Matthew gives us is this beautiful picture that life is short and here's how you can not waste it. Here are the fundamentals to focus on, but then life is complicated. Life is confusing. He can help us simplify it and clarify it. You know, I don't know if you feel this way in your life, but uh, yesterday we, you know, if Cynthia, Cynthia and I, we have four kids. They're they're ten and five, so four kids in that five-year-old range. And uh, yesterday we attempted to have everyone clean their room. So what you would think could be a task that could be accomplished in. 30 minutes? I mean, we're only talking a couple, you know, I don't know, 100 square feet. I don't know. Uh, You think this could be a task that could be accomplished pretty quickly. Turned out to be the entire day. And this actually is now a multi-day project. So we're we're not quite even done. And what I found myself saying over and over and over is, yes, I see you are doing X. What should you be doing right now? So yeah, I, I see you have your brother's shorts on your head and he is in the laundry basket pretending to be a tiger. What should you be doing right now with those shorts? They, they shouldn't be on your head. They should be folded. And, and, but I can't get too on it because I feel that way in life sometimes. I mean, don't you often feel with the, the swirl and the whirl and the distractions where you think, all right, like, what should I be doing right now and Matthew in such a beautiful way can help simplify and clarify this is what you should be doing right now you know one of the things we spent about 12 weeks before we went into Matthew just in the uh, one summer going through the the, the Lord's Prayer because I believe the Lord's Prayer is one of the most beautiful simplifications of what the story of the world is and the point of our life I believe it's the best place that Jesus gives what he wants, in essence, his mission statement or vision statement for his church to be. And we've kind of framed ours. If you look on the front of our, the, the bulletin, the program, we want to be God-centered. That's a summary of the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. So this is what your life is to be about. We celebrate it's God-centered. It's your kingdom or your name, your kingdom, your will. So these are our three tasks. We, uh, we, we hallow his name in worship. We spread his kingdom in mission. We obey his will in discipleship and how we live. That's what we're called to do. And then how does he want us to do it? What type of way do we go? That's what we're supposed to be doing. How does he want us to do it? What type of culture does he want us to create? We summarize that as a grace-saturated culture, but it's a culture that's marked by daily dependence and generosity. you know, give us this day our daily bread. It's a culture that's marked by relational reconciliation. Forgive us as we have been forgiven. It's a culture that's marked by dependence and deliverance as we know We're in a fight in the world and we're walking and fighting together. That's that type of culture. And the Lord's Prayer can be one of the most beautiful summaries of a life that's lived well. And it can clarify, this is what you're supposed to be doing right now. Like, I know you have your brother's shorts on your head. I know you spent the last hour uh, flipping through something. This is what you're supposed to be doing right now. It can clarify and it can simplify. So as we move through, I hope, you know, one of the things I love about Matthew is this, you get this picture of Jesus who's painted. And this picture is that he is worth learning from and living for. And one of the things that often talk about Matthew is kind of the most Jewish of the gospels. And it's often said it was written for a Jewish audience. I don't think that's quite right. I think it was written for all of us so we can learn Israel's story because if you learn Matthew, you don't just learn Matthew, you learn the story of the world, and you learn the story of the Old Testament. Because one of the beautiful things, the way he structures it, is in the beginning you see Jesus is painted as this, this new Moses who just like Moses, who has to who has to flee for his life and is miraculously saved. And then he uh, will ascend the mountain to give us God's uh, commands. And then you see, Jesus is like this new Joshua, new David, who's going to enter into God's world and he's going to bring the conquest where he's defeating what's evil and he's healing what's broken. And then like the new Solomon, he's going to come speaking a true and better wisdom and he's going to build the house of the Lord, but it's going to be a spiritual temple that will never become corrupted or stale and will last till the ends of the earth. And then he's like the new prophet Jeremiah who's going to go to his people and bring the refining fire and bring purification. So you see this beautiful picture of who Jesus is. And one of the things I think is most encouraging to me is he's almost walking through Israel's story, but in every place that they had failed, he's going to succeed. So in some ways, it's like the ultimate do-over. And haven't you ever gotten in times in your life where you feel like, man, I would really love a do-over? You know, that's why, grandparents, one of the reasons you're so good is because you're now finally at a position where you can see what you should have been doing the whole time. And you actually know what's important. You know, when we're in the thick of it, we all have all types of anxiety about all these things that don't matter. And you say, from perspective. And what Jesus is walking through their story. And when, you know, when Adam fell to Satan's temptations, Jesus is victorious. And when Israel whined and moaned and complained in the wilderness, he is faithful and he's victorious. And then he's the one who's gonna build a temple that's victorious. He's this new Moses who's going to teach us the true meaning of the law. And he's the new David who can bring true rest to our souls. And he's the new Solomon who can give us true wisdom. And so the whole question for us is, will we follow him? Will we learn from him? Will we walk with him? And one of the great beautiful pictures that Matthew paints is this good news of this gospel is none of Israel's past failures were final. And that's encouraging for us because that means none of your past failures were final. What Matthew's telling his people is that God is not going to stop fulfilling his promises. And he will refuse to take their no for an answer. And he will keep his word. And he will bless the nations through Abraham's seed. And there's nothing that sin, Satan, or death can do to stop him. His love is unstoppable. And Matthew wants to teach his people that he's not going to give up on us. And he wants to teach us that he's not going to give up on us. So everything that Matthew's meant to do is meant to teach. And it's, it's teaching in word and then teaching in life. You know, we have these two things. One of the reasons we take communion every week is it's meant to uh, teach us. It's an act where well, we're meant to learn. And one of the things historically the church has always said when they've taken is uh, they say, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. So what is this meant to, to teach us? It's meant to teach us that our holy and gracious and loving Father, in his love, he made us for himself. But when we had sinned against him and become subject to sin and death, that he in his mercy sent his only son into the world for our salvation. And that son who, by the Holy Spirit, became flesh and dwelt among us and in obedience to the Father's will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and he offered himself once and for all. And by that, by his suffering, we might be saved and by his resurrection he broke the power of death and he trampled on hell and satan under his feet and now as a great high priest he sits at god's right hand and he welcomes us to come and this is a symbol of the invitation and a foretaste of the celebration to come so on the night that he was betrayed he took the bread and when he had given thanks for it he broke it And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.